Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, so made it through the first day. <clears throat> Congratulations. Bliss trip? Mm. Awakening joy? Uh, is this too loud? Um, if you're like most people, not everybody, you might have had a really wonderful day, so I, I don't want to say that this is uh, universally true, but for most people, the first day of a retreat is not so easy, <clears throat> especially if you think, oh great, I signed up for an Awakening Joy retreat, and uh, maybe there wasn't quite as much joy as you thought this first day. Uh, if you had any of those settling in experiences, let's just take a quick uh, barometer check. Um, sleepiness, raise your hand. Look around, you're not alone. Restlessness, okay. Um, aches in the body. Busy mind. Okay, go team. Um, this is uh, this is a a natural part of the first day of a retreat and I've been doing this yes how about a mental temper tantrum mental temper tantrum sure mental temper tantrum yeah okay you you won't be alone by the end of the retreat there were some hand raised yeah yeah and uh, just out of curiosity, uh, I don't want to discount. Anybody have a really great day? That's possible too. A few people, yeah. So, or um, how about a moderately good day? Okay. <laughs> well, that, that's a lot of the same hands that are raised. You know, that, that's, that's good. And it's good to know that you can have both some difficult moments and it being an okay or pretty good day. Um, the fact, I consider the fact that you're all here a good day. Um, because the first day um, is almost guaranteed, I said this in one of the groups, to bring up resistance. You're being told, okay, be quiet now. Now sit still for 45 minutes or so. Now walk in a very mindful way 
try to pay attention, eat in a disciplined way, uh, brush your teeth and be here for it, sleep in a bed that you've never been in before, possibly, likely with a roommate who you've never met before. All of those things are almost guaranteed to bring up some resistance, especially when at the beginning the energy is low because we're so used to operating on outside stimulation, whether it's uh, appointments or email or sound bites or something going on, your to-do list. I mean, what are you gonna do? You don't have a to-do list today. There's only one thing on your to-do list. Be present. Oh my goodness, what do I do without my to-do list? <clears throat> so this first day, even if you've been doing it for many years, um, is one of just settling in. As I said, that kind of detox experience. <clears throat> Fasting from stimulation and from activity and all the doing. And now this is a radical um, task to simply be instead of do. <clears throat> so if you had the question come to your mind, what am I doing here? Um, you're probably not alone. Or, why did I sign up for this again? Yeah. Lots of questions like that. And um, one of the things that gets easier when you have been doing it for a while is even going through, knowing that you're going through that settling in period, there is a payoff in going through it all. And I'm glad to see a number of people raise their hands and said, well, it was okay, even with all of that. Tonight, I, I wanna talk uh, about the first principle and the key one in this whole um, attitude of cultivating true well-being awakening joy, as I call it, uh, which is the understanding of the power of intention. Intention is the key to this whole process, not only this whole process, but to life as well. The Buddha said in his brilliant understanding of how things work, that we have a choice. We do have a choice. That even if we've been cultivating habits or patterns that have gone very, very deep, that don't serve us, habits of, of mind that have to do with grasping or aversion or confusion, delusion, um, that we can change. It's absolutely possible to change particularly if we can understand where true happiness lies and then decide to go for it. If you're familiar with the Eightfold Path, the first link of the Eightfold Path is wise understanding, or sometimes it's called um, right understanding or right view, which is understanding 
what leads to suffering and what leads to happiness and understanding where true happiness lies. I won't go into more detail than that. Um, in, in, I'll just mention it. It's understanding uh, that uh, there's a natural law of cause and effect and also that um, happiness does lie, not lie in grasping and acquiring but in cultivating certain wholesome states that lead to a, a true liberation of the mind and the heart. And then the second link in that Eightfold Path is called wise intention or right intention. Sometimes it's also known as uh, right thought. Understanding the, the power of our thoughts to create any reality for us. And once we get clear on what leads to well-being, then wise intention is the decision to go for it. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, this would really bring about happiness for myself. Gee, I hope I get there. And it's quite another to say, I'm going for it. And that can happen uh, in encountering with somebody who inspires us. It can happen when we've hit the bottom of the barrel and we are so ready for a change that we're ready to do anything, willing to do anything, and fortunately encountering some teachings that strike us as, as leading to true happiness. That's what happened with me. I, maybe I mentioned it last night when I, I saw, I first encountered these teachings and uh, met my teacher, Joseph Goldstein. Did I mention this last night? Did I talk about this? And um, this is in 1974, and I had a lot of suffering inside. My life, my life looked pretty good on the outside. You know, I, I certainly didn't have as tough external circumstances as, as many people, but I had my own brand of internal suffering, not liking myself very much, feeling very insecure uh, and shy, um, not thinking that, you know, things would would work out uh, often, um, but when I, when I encountered the teachings and, and met uh, my first teacher, Joseph, there was something about him that I, I saw, wow, he's not so different from me, but he knows something that I don't. And he was saying it's absolutely possible to not be run by my neurotic thought patterns. I'd never entertained that as a possibility before. But I believed him. He said, it really is possible. And I was in enough suffering so that I said, okay, I am going for it. And that's why I was so motivated to dive into practice. Um, and so if you have a lot of suffering in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your circumstances. Uh, don't discount or think, oh no, there's, I've gone through too much or I, I've got too much to deal with to you know, make a dent in, in things. You actually can be more motivated than somebody else 
because you're ready for change. And once you understand that possibility and you are connected to a strong intention to change, then miracles are possible. But it all starts with intention. Intention is um, the basis of all karma. Uh, there's one famous saying the Buddha says, uh, intending, whoops, uh, intending, I tell you, is karma. Uh, intending, one creates karma by way of body, speech, and mind. It's a direct quote from the Buddha. What we bring about either because of our confusion or because of our fear and we say, whoa, I don't want that to happen and we continually dwell on how we don't want that to happen. There's a subtle kind of intention there as well, an unconscious intention. But when you get clear on what you do want to bring about and it's aligned with a, a, a wholesome quality of heart that is ready to commit, then miracles can happen, as I say. <clears throat> that line that I, I talked about last night, um, I love, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon becomes the inclination of their mind. And so this idea of intention, particularly in relating to this theme of awakening joy or awakening well-being is inclining the mind to do your part to bring that about. <clears throat> There's a few different levels of intention, two mainly, that I, I think I want to share with you on a, just a practice and practical point of uh, understanding, and then we'll I'll get into how intention particularly works uh, in regard to aspiration. But one, one aspect of intention is that in every single moment, we are bringing an intention to the moment. This is on a, a again, a Buddhist psychology level, if you uh, can relate to it, that Every moment we are either coming from um, greed, uh, grasping, wanting, aversion, and confusion, or non-greed, that is generosity, kindness, and clarity. They, the, the, the first three seem to travel together where there's a contraction of mind and our words and actions come from that contraction, which basically has to do with what's in it for me? How, how can I get more? And, uh, and that's the primary goal. And then the other three travel together, which is more about uh, what's, what's the most wholesome thing I can do here that leads to true well-being and you benefit from that. It's not like you are sacrificing yourself and becoming a martyr. But it's, he said, the Buddha said, go for the highest happiness, the real happiness, 
just understand where that is found. Don't settle for those low-level happinesses of this is a quick hit and this will do it for me, but a deeper kind of well-being. And they generally have to do with a kind heart, an open heart, a generous heart, a loving heart, a clear mind. And every moment we are in one way or another, if you uh, relate to this teaching, we are planting the seeds for suffering or happiness. As an example, this is how it works, or this is an example of how it works. Um, close your eyes for just a moment and think of some action or interchange that you, that you uh, had with somebody that wasn't so skillful somewhere in your distant past or in your life. Maybe clicking the send button on the, on the email or, uh, or saying or doing something that uh, you uh, regret or might have done a different way. And as you're th reflecting on this, you might have an image of remembering what was going on as you were involved in that. And uh, just think back, how did it feel as you were doing that action, or at least right after you did? How did it feel inside? Maybe there was a moment of feeling good, but perhaps shortly after that, um, some contraction. And what was the energy that came back to you or that was set up between you and whoever was on the other end? They probably didn't say, oh, thank you for the feedback or whatever it was. So that's the second way that there was suffering caused by that unskillful action. The likelihood that you would do it again is greater because you practice that habit and you're, it's all of, of practicing and reinforcing habits. So that's a third way that you're planting the seeds for suffering. And when you just thought of it right now, how did it feel inside? Probably not so good. Okay, so there's four ways that one unskillful action planted seeds of suffering in the moment or right after. What came back to you from the other side, the likelihood of that being repeated because you practiced that habit, and also when you reflected back on it, it didn't feel so good. Okay, so that's one side of the coin. That's not the only story. Now take a nice deep breath and erase the board in your mind, in your heart. Because here's the good news. Okay. Think of something that you've done that was a very um, a genuine kind act. Maybe a, a random act of kindness. Perhaps with your pet or your child 
or your friend, somebody having a hard time and you were there for, or just a spontaneous act of, of generosity. And bring to mind, if you can, that situation. Have an image of it. And notice, as you recall, how did it feel in the moment when something wholesome came right through you? Probably felt pretty good. What was the energy like on the other person's side? Probably one of connection and appreciation that felt good. How did it, uh, the likelihood, I should say, that it was, that you would do that is greater because you um, practice that habit. Oh yeah, that feels good. And the reflection back as you think about it probably feels good right now, as you recall it, isn't it? So those are four ways, four seeds of wholesomeness, of well-being that you planted with one skillful action. In the moment, the energy that comes back, the likelihood of that habit being repeated, and when we look back on our experience, feels good. Okay, feel like you can open your eyes. So, four different ways that you are planting wholesome seeds, or seeds leading to happiness, or seeds leading to suffering, all from what your intention is, what was motivating you to act. When I first heard that teaching, I thought, oh, wow, um, I want to clean up my act. <clears throat> However, uh, even if you have the best of intentions, it's still easy to forget. So you might think, uh, oh, well, now that I know that, uh, Clear sailing from here on in, but you know, if only. In fact, that reminds me. I'll, I'll share a little contemporary prayer that I first learned from my friend Howie. This is, and it's a, it's a greeting card now. Dear God, so far today I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, bitchy, or overindulgent. And I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed. And then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. Yeah. We can, we can have all the good ideas and all the good thoughts. And still, even if you think you know better, it takes practice. It takes patience to overcome 
those habits that we've been practicing so uh, diligently for most of our lives. Because we've been, you know, we've been conditioned in so many different ways. What about me? I've got to take care of myself. All of those thoughts, those, those unskillful thoughts, usually coming out of fear in one way or another, that there won't be enough, or that the other guy will get it and I won't, uh, or that I'm not good enough, or one way or another. And uh, it takes some practice to move through that fear and open up to a whole other place inside, beyond the fear, which is what we're doing here. The, uh, uh, the analogy that the Buddha has of this practice is that of putting a, a bowl under a spigot, a leaky spigot. And it says, he says, drop by drop, let's see, do I have it here? No. Drop by drop, the bucket gets filled. Each drop doesn't look like much is happening, but drop by drop by drop, the bucket gets filled because you are cultivating certain habits that can develop. Once you have a habit going, we are creatures of habit and we're cultivating the habit here of being mindful, which just happens to turn out to be the most direct way that you can open up to all the forces of good inside of you. So that's why it might not seem like much, you know, oh, I'm spacing out and I'm not really being present, but even a few drops of mindfulness, particularly over the course of a few days, you start noticing, oh, there's a present moment here. Oh, this is where life is happening. Oh, this isn't so bad after all. And then you can fall in love with the present moment. Oh, everything else is secondhand. But it takes persistence of coming back. Well, I remember one, one uh, great Tibetan master said, um, practice sometimes feels like manual labor, just kind of bringing your attention back each time. But I, I actually uh, like the analogy, like I said yesterday of, or this morning, of training a puppy dog. Okay, come on back. And if you can come back with love instead of frustration, ah, okay, come on back again and again. That's where the habit starts to develop. And in fact, all, your, uh, all you need to do is every time you see you've gone, to bring yourself back in a loving way. That's your job. Whatever happens beyond that, not up to you. You might have a calm sitting, uh, scattered sitting, filled with love, filled with rage, filled with frustration, filled with calm. You don't have much control over that. And I'll, I'll share with you a, a secret teaching that uh, helped me very much. The mind is completely out of control. 
and you don't have much control over how mindful or concentrated you are in any particular moment. What you do have control over, which shapes it in the direction of greater clarity and wisdom and love, is the willingness to bring yourself back each time you see you've gone. And it's so freeing to realize that your mind is out of control. You might think, gosh, that's very depressing. My mind is out of control. But it's actually great news. Because if your mind is out of control, then you don't have to blame yourself for where it goes and what it thinks of. Right? If you had control over your mind, you'd probably only have loving thoughts of blessing everybody in the world. You know, just radiating loving kindness for all. But probably a few others slip in there. Right? So when you realize, oh, my mind, you don't say, gee, I could go for some doubt right now. Uh, That'll do me good today. Or uh, how about some boredom? I could really go for some boredom. No, it just happens all on its own. And the same way, I I would like to be loving, but sometimes you don't feel loving. But sometimes it happens all by itself, and there's a beautiful loving thought that comes through. When your mind isn't confused and contracted, that's what generally does come through. through. So this is something to keep in mind as far as intention, that every single moment that you're mindful, you are planting the seeds of kindness, generosity, and clarity. So that's one level of intention. The other is this uh, broader aspect of intention, which is, um, has to do with aspiration. Having a vision of what you want to create. So more beyond just in this moment, what is my intention? A greater uh, perspective is, what am I wanting to create in my life? What am I moving towards? As I said, if you have a kind of um, understanding of where happiness lies, and then you decide to go for it, then there's a certain power that comes from that. When I first started this, um, this whole uh, journey, uh, there was a, a very inspiring quote from the Buddha that, uh, that I heard from my teacher that really struck home. The Buddha, in this one line, he says, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. I said, whoa. It's really possible? Okay, I'm going to do it. And often we have that kind of inspiration, something that we read or somebody that we, that we have, have met or uh, some, uh, some talk that, we, that we've heard that ignites that sense of, yes, I'm going for it. And it can give us what's called bright faith, where we get very inspired 
And then as we continue to practice for ourselves and see for ourselves, we have what's called verified faith, where it's not dependent on somebody else, but you see, oh yeah, this is really working. <clears throat> and then you're not doing it because you're trying to be a spiritual person and do what's right. You're doing it because there's something that, uh, that you sense uh, really uh, is, uh, is effective and, and beneficial. Intention, I want to talk a little bit about intention so you have an understanding of, of it. Intention is different from goal. Although you can have a vision, but you've got to be careful not to be too impatient and say, okay, five days, I'm here. I hope by Saturday I, you know, I really get clear of all my neuroses. You know? um, or maybe in, in three months, I'll, I'll meditate for three months and uh, I hope I'll be fixed by then. It doesn't work like that. You just are facing in the right direction and be inspired by a vision of the possibility. But no, it's the, in that drop by drop, as long as you keep on facing in that direction, uh, you will keep on waking up. And it's a tremendous relief to let go of the timetable and the report card and see, am I doing it? Is it working or not? The, the, uh, the Dalai Lama uh, is, uh, is sometimes asked, uh, what's, what's, the, uh, uh, what's the difference between Asian practitioners and, um, and Westerners? And he, I've heard him say this uh, a couple of times, he says, impatience, the Westerners, uh, that we want it right away. We're so used to getting immediate gratification. Uh, and he says, if you've got to judge your practice, which he doesn't recommend, look over five or 10 year periods and see if there's any kind of movement and development in, uh, in, in Western teachings. Uh, we sometimes call this impatience mcdharma. You know? <laughs> Fast, fast enlightenment. Okay, well, let's get on with it. And this is, you know, this takes a while. I've been doing this for a number of years. And as I often say, the right button gets pressed. I can be back in the third grade in no time at all with frustration and impatience and insecurity and like that. But what has changed over these years is it does not last for that long. Not you know, weeks or months or years like it used to. Uh, you know, I get lost and say, oh wow, got lost there. Okay, come on back. And there's a place that one can come back to. Actually, uh, an analogy I, I'll give that uh, I love that Joseph talks about. Just imagine um, a hill with a, a ball in the center uh, of, the, of the hill, a steep hill, and it's very hard for that ball to stay in the center. That's the beginning of practice, where it's 
especially if you haven't been so conscious in, in your life, it's easy to, to, uh, to fall into unskillful habits. As you keep on practicing and developing more consciousness and mindfulness and all, the hill kind of flattens out into um, flat ground. You put that ball on the center and it takes a gust of wind to blow it off. If you keep on practicing and deepening your practice, then that ball is in that valley and it might get blown off, but this is where it returns to. It comes back to center. And that's a kind of how, um, uh, analogy of how practice works, that you are deepening your grooves in your brain and also your uh, habits and, uh, and skillfulness of coming back home. We're learning where home is. You know, there you are, even though it feels like you're just spacing out, you're learning more and more to be here in the present moment and learn to be okay and relating with, skillfully to the present moment just as it is. And what you're doing is you're having greater and greater access to a place of peace inside that is available to you in any circumstances. Even if you forget, this is coming back to home. And when you have an intention, when you have a vision and an intention to cultivate certain qualities, you actually start setting up your brain to support that. In neuroscience, there's the, uh, the notion of priming the brain, priming your brain to, um, to look for what it is, or to see what it is looking for. That's why if you're looking for how things are not gonna work out, you are priming your brain to notice those. But if you're looking for uh, the possibility of, of being more conscious or kind or seeing the goodness around you, just imagine if you go through life looking for the goodness inside of you and around you, you start to notice it a whole lot more because we have what's called a confirmation bias where we are looking, where without even thinking of it, we start to notice on our radar what we look for. So this intention is, uh, is a key to this awakening joy process because it starts to set up towards noticing the good in life. Not that there's all good in life. Let's not be living in, a, you know, in, 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 in denial. There's a lot of difficulty in life. The first noble truth of Buddhism is there's suffering in life. And I know this very well. And, and I've been teaching it for a long time. So sometimes people think, you know, awakening joy, you know, well, what about the suffering? And it's true that you're not just going for happiness and a smiley smile all the time. But the more you can open up to all the good in life, 
the more you're able to deal skillfully with all the hard stuff in life. Life is composed of the the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, as it's said in Taoism. But often we focus on what's wrong and on suffering and on how the world is going down the tubes and you know what's the point and all of that. Uh, we're wired up to look for what, can, what goes wrong. If you are familiar with the, the amygdala in the brain, it looks for the danger and it scans the horizon for what can go wrong. And it's a good thing that it's operating because it keeps us out of danger for much of the time, but it also uh, uh, gets activated over time, particularly when you're stressed. You are more likely to look for what can go wrong. So it takes some practice to look for what can go right or look for what is right right here. As my friend uh, Rick Hansen, the, uh, who's a, a neuropsychologist and a neuroscience uh, expert, he's written a number of, of books on, on uh, neuroscience and dharma, what he calls neurodharma. Um, he says, uh, the brain is like Teflon for positive experiences and Velcro for negative experiences. <laughs> So it takes some practice to start seeing what can go right. And that starts with the intention to want to open up to greater well-being. Let me see what I want to say. Once you decide to make that change, then um, anything can happen. And I want to read to you a couple of stories. One from uh, a book, How We Choose to Be Happy, uh, written by some friends of of, of ours, uh, Rick Foster and Greg Hicks, who studied over a three-year period about 300, I think it was like 320 certifiably happy people. They would go to, this is their research study, they would go to a town, you know, they went to Europe as well as the States, would say they go to, you know, a town in rural Alabama, not know a soul, and go into a diner and say, uh, hey, who's uh, anybody really happy in this place? And people would say, oh, Shirley, she's, somehow she's happy. And then they go speak to Shirley, you happy? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. And then they'd say, uh, can we speak to other people who might know you and you know, your family and your coworkers and people who might know a few different parts of you? Yeah, sure. And they'd all say, Shirley's pretty happy. And then they'd say, oh, what's, your, what's your secret? Why, why are you so happy? You know? And they in these 300 people uh, distilled nine common qualities of these happy people. And the first quality is intention, the decision to go for happiness. And I wanted to read one story that uh, particularly moved me. Um, lest you think that this, is, this has to do with people who just uh, have it made and were 
were, were given a, a good hand, a, a good deal. Uh, not so. This is uh, Adele's story. She was one of these 320 people. In one horrible 24 months, my life evaporated. I lost everything. My house burned down to the ground, leaving me with nothing. It was the Oakland fire uh, in uh, 91, I guess. No clothes, photos, furniture, no material reminder of my previous life. During that time, both of my parents died unexpectedly. My husband left me for a younger woman. At the same time, my restaurant went bankrupt. My best friend moved to Seattle. Even the dog died. And she said, what does this all mean? And she had to decide whether she could go on. And she goes on, she says, I had nothing. I was so filled with grief, I thought maybe God was somehow preparing me to die. Everything was gone. Maybe this was some monumental lesson in letting go and that I should let my life go too. But as my initial shock began to clear, a feeling that I wanted to live outweighed all of my thoughts about death. I began to see there was hope among the ashes. There was one big opportunity. I had a clean slate. As long as I had to start over and create a whole new life, I was going to create a happy one. I wanted to feel whole. I was sure that I wanted to embrace everything in life, the good and the bad. I wanted a feeling of contentment and to feel rested and gentle. I wanted to feel unafraid, to feel I could handle anything that came my way. And I wanted to feel this way for the rest of my life. In spite of my grief, I could see this all added up to happiness for a lifetime. And she decided to change. Actually, as it's not like it happened instantly. She had to go through a period of real grief. Uh, but after she absorbed all of those losses and all the things that happened with that intention to go for real happiness, it made her a much deeper, richer, more compassionate person that um, lights up a room. And as uh, and I spoke with, with I, Rick and Greg, our friends, and I said, she's a pretty amazing person. You'd never know all the trouble she had. It can often happen that way where we're ready to try something new, like I said before. Here's uh, one other story from uh, Martin Seligman who wrote uh, the book Authentic Happiness that was the, the start of the positive psychology movement, you know, positive psychology in the last 15, 20 years or so where instead of looking for abnormal uh, pathology. We're looking for health and mental well-being. And uh, he talks about how the whole positive psychology movement started. This is from his book, Authentic Happiness. The moment took place in my garden while I was weeding with my five-year-old daughter, Nikki. 
I have to confess that even though I write books about children, I'm really not all that good with them. I'm goal-oriented and time-urgent, and when I'm weeding in the garden, I'm actually trying to get the weeding done. Nikki, however, was throwing weeds into the air, singing and dancing around. I yelled at her. She walked away, came back, and said, Daddy, I want to talk to you. <laughs> yes, Nikki, I said. Daddy, do you remember before my fifth birthday, from the time I was three to the time I was five, I was a whiner. I whined every day. When I turned five, I decided not to whine anymore. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And if I can stop whining, you can stop being such a grouch. <laughs> this was for me an epiphany, nothing less. Nikki hit the nail right on the head. I was a grouch. I'd spent 50 years mostly enduring wet weather in my soul, and the last 10 being a nimbus cloud in a household full of sunshine. Any good fortune I had was probably not due to my grumpiness, but in spite of it. In that moment, I resolved to change. That was the beginning of the positive psychology movement. And look at the rippling effect that it had. So, this is no small thing, intention, and it is, in this context, the intention to place well-being and happiness at the center of your life. And again, I'm talking about true happiness, not the quick fix. And a lot of times, people aren't quite ready to give themselves true happiness. Either it came up in one of the groups today, either out of feeling like I don't deserve it, or it's not fair, if I'm happy, what about all the other people in the world who, who don't have it? And so we deprive ourselves. Now, how does it feel to be around somebody who's depriving themselves and are miserable because they don't want to you know, be better than others? You know, do you say, oh, great, another miserable person in the world? Actually, it is one of the greatest gifts when you're finding your own well-being because that's what can, is contagious for, for others. So the first thing is to get clear on your intention. Can you give yourself true well-being? Or do you postpone your happiness and saying, well, when I uh, meet the right person, then I'll be happy. Or when I become successful in my job, then I'll be happy. Or when I make enough money, then I'll be happy. Or when I retire, then I'll be happy. And you postpone your happiness. If that's your habit, you will have a lifetime of postponing instead of seeing, can I bring well-being right into this moment? This is a moment of my life. How do I want to approach it? How do I want to relate to it? With annoyance and irritation or grace and gratitude and presence? So this is a, 
one thing I'd like to, you to just um, explore, maybe close your eyes for a moment. And first, remembering uh, what the Buddha said, if it was not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. And just imagine more and more letting go of all the ways that your mind gets caught and confused and learning more and more to get in touch with the peace and the goodness and the wisdom that's right inside of you, the kingdom of heaven or your Buddha nature, however you call it. Just imagine more and more having access to that. And say with, with practice that you more and more are living from that place. Imagine practicing this with that intention for the next five days, five months, five years. Just envision what it would be for you to more and more actualize and awaken all of the wholesome qualities inside of you. What that might feel like, look like, how others might be around you. And if you can imagine more and more opening up to that inside of you. Here's the magic moment. See if you can get in touch with the decision to bring that about, or to do your part, I should say, to bring that about. Not hoping it would happen or wishing it would happen, but deciding to do your part to get clear on your intention to incline your mind to greater well-being. Nobody can do this for you, but you don't have to wait for anybody to do it for you either. It all starts with that intention. This is a Tibetan teaching that says, 
everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. And once you decide that you, despite whatever patterns or thoughts that get in the way that say, oh, I'm not worthy or I don't deserve or whatever, uh, that you are going for true well-being, not only for yourself, but as a gift to everybody else, then that's the magic ingredient. Then you're simply inclining the mind more and more to align with that vision. And then everything that you're experiencing can be held with that vision. Whether it's hard stuff, whether it's blessings, whether it's challenges, everything is held in the context of I'm about waking up more and more and getting in touch with all the goodness and the love and the wisdom inside. So this is the, the power of intention. Mm. And when you are expanding your intention, just briefly mention that it's more about just what's in it for me, that when you're truly aligned with well-being, there's an expansiveness that wants to share the love that's inside, the caring that's inside, the wisdom that's inside, not because you're hoping that people see what a wonderful person you are, but just it comes out naturally. You have a, a more inspiring vision, and we'll be talking about that uh, as, the, uh, as the retreat goes on. So I'll, I'll just uh, I'll close with a, a short poem that I, I like about this. This is called Unconditional by Jennifer Wellwood. <clears throat> Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who's crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. And what we're doing here is saying yes to everything. And in that saying yes to everything, we say yes to ourselves and say yes to the joy and the love and the wisdom that's right inside. So just sit for a moment. And again, staying connected to that intention if you 
got in touch with it. To give yourself true happiness. So um, there's about a half an hour for uh, walking. You might, if you like, uh, go outside and enjoy the, the night or else stay inside as you like. Um, but let yourself open up to whatever your experience is and uh, um, Take it as a nourishing experience. If you're walking, go at a a speed that you enjoy. And we'll come back for one last sitting and do a little little chanting at the end. Aaron, do a little chanting. So we'll do a little chanting at uh, at the end of the sitting. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.